and clearly stated. And even when John says very hard things, as he does all the way through the, the first epistle that we are studying, even when he has very hard things to say, uppermost in John's mind is his love for and his commitment to the welfare of the people of God. John learned a very tremendous lesson. I don't know where he learned it. He learned it somewhere between the time that Jesus called he and his brother James Boanerges, the sons of thunder, and the time that he wrote this epistle. For there was a time when John would say to the master, Father, we've had enough of this. Why don't you just let us call down fire from heaven and eradicate those folks? But somewhere along the line, John moderated and he, he became more like Jesus. Perhaps as he grew to maturity in the love of Jesus, it gave him the kind of love for other people that he's talking about in this letter. And we need to learn the lesson that John has learned, and that is twofold. We need to speak the truth, but we need to do it in love. As a pastor through the years, knowing other pastors, there have been times when I was preaching through a book of the Bible, simply regurgitating, as it were, what the book says. And somebody says, you planned that sermon just for me. Well, you know, I don't really think I'm that smart, but I appreciate the compliment sometime. You see, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is quick, and powerful like a two-edged sword. You know, God the Holy Spirit can lead us together as we study His Word. And when I seek His mind far in advance for what I'm going to preach, when it touches a book of the Bible, God knows far in advance what we as a body need. For instance, I know that sometime next year I will preach the book of 1 Corinthians. And I don't really think that on June, the whatever it is, next year I've got one picked out for you. I'm just going to go down the page, preach the book, and let the Holy Spirit worry about applying it to whom he will. You see, we've got to learn the lesson. We've got to speak the truth, but we've got to speak the truth in love. And you know, sometimes it's very difficult to speak the truth. And sometimes we think that if you really love somebody, you won't speak the truth, but you'll never find Jesus acting that way. The truth has to be spoken, and it is because God loves us that he gave us the word. And it is because the under-shepherd loves the sheep that he speaks the word even when it cuts like a sword. If I did not love you, I would not tell you the truth. John speaks the truth in love, and oh, how we need to learn that lesson. For it is a greater sin, I believe, to rebuke somebody when you are right with a spirit of bitterness and anger than their sin is. It is a greater sin to speak the truth without love. Now, in the book of 1 John, there are tests given over and again. The test involved in this passage is the test of loving, and the test is final. The results of the test demonstrate the facts of the situation. The light reveals the truth, and what the light reveals is the truth, and that's all there is to it. Now, in verses 7 and 8 of 1 John 2, 7 to 11, the first thing, verses 7 and 8, the commandment recalled. The commandment recalled. John says, Beloved... I am not writing unto you a new commandment, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. 
The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now what's he talking about? I'm not writing you a new commandment, but I am writing you a new commandment. It's the word which you have heard from the beginning. Well, the next verses are going to reveal that John, without any question, is referring to the commandment that the Lord Jesus laid down to his disciples as recorded in John chapter 13, the gospel of John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, where Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now for John, the matter of truth is not a matter of only facts. For John, truth is something that you do. John doesn't speak in abstract theological terms very often the way Paul does. John speaks in terms we can get our hands on, and for John, the truth is something that a Christian lives out every day in their life. Our stewardship of love, John would teach us, is every bit as vital as our stewardship of our possessions, our money, our time, our talents. Now this commandment, he says, is both old and new. Well, it is old in principle, but it is new in application. You see, Jesus Christ did not speak for the first time the commandment that we love one another. It goes back to the law of Moses and before the law of Moses. For Moses commanded the people as God had spoken to him, you shall love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. It was an old commandment. And is that not sometimes the problem? The psychologists tell us and the Christian as well as the secular psychologists tell us that the reason some people are so hard on other people is because they don't like themselves. And the only chance they see for a sense of fulfillment in life is to bring everybody else down to their level as they see themselves. You see, the Old Testament didn't command anybody not to love himself, not to think a lot of himself, not to care about himself, but the Old Testament commanded us that we love others as much as we love ourselves. It was an old commandment, old in principle, but it was new in application. For never had the world seen the commandment brought to fullness and completion until it saw it in Jesus Christ. You know, nobody really knows what love is until they know Jesus. For John will tell us in this same letter at a later point that God may be defined as love and love may be defined as God. Nobody really knows love until they see it in Jesus. This commandment was fulfilled in Christ and what John says is that the commandment is true in him and in you. If you know Jesus, the commandment will be lived out in your life, not in all of its fullness as it was in him.
not perfect loving, but habitual loving, confessing our mistakes. Now, the word used in verse 8 for truth is the word aletheis, and it, it means something that is genuine as opposed to something that is counterfeit. And John is saying this commandment will genuinely be a part of your life if you know God. God's purpose for the Christian, as John has taught it to us so far in this letter, is first that we know the truth, then that we be possessed by the truth, and then that we do the truth. For truth is something that you do. Being captured by the Lord Jesus, we can never be the same. Here is the commandment recalled. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. And then in verses 9 and 11, we're going to come back to verse 10. Here is what I have called the contradiction revealed. Now in verse 9, John says, and I've read it in the Greek. I've read it in many translations, and it always comes out the same. It's not a matter of interpretation. It's a matter of what it says. John says, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness even until now. There is no middle ground between love and hatred, and that's one of the very key mistakes we very often make. You either love somebody or you hate them. You do not either love somebody or you do not like them. You either love them or you hate them. That's what the Scripture says. There is no middle ground. John in this letter has already told us that we are either walking in the darkness or in the light, not on a line that goes down the middle. In physics, they would tell us that it is impossible for light and darkness to occupy the same place at the same time. And John says God is light, the enemy is darkness, and they cannot cohabit in the same individual at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. God, when he gave us this letter, Jesus, when he spoke, inseparably bound love for God and love for man. If there is no love for fellow men, whoever they may be, whatever they may have done, if there is no love, there is no light. We walk one place or another. And that commandment extends to all men. Now, a problem that I used to have with this was, was thinking, now, God demanding that we love is like somebody saying to these two young people, you fall in love with each other and get married. Well, now, that, see, that kind of a, a mindset results from a faulty idea about what love is. And if many young couples knew a little more about what it really is, we'd have fewer divorces. You see, love primarily is not an emotion. Run that by again and let it sink in. Love is not an emotion. In the New Testament, there are four words for, the, for love that we translate love. That's a shame. In the Greek language, there are at least six words for love. 
But the word agape is distinctly a New Testament word and it designates the kind of love that is an act of the will. And when it is willed, it is never recalled and never taken back. And beloved, if you ever stopped loving anybody, you never loved them in the first place. Love is an act of the will. Very often we confuse selfishness with love. And Jesus said, when you love only those who love you, what have you accomplished? Even the heathen do the same. Here is the contradiction revealed. No love, no light. God can command it because it is an attitude of the whole person. It is much more than an emotion. And what John is saying is that the real Christian cannot help but love others. It's not an ought-to situation. If you know Jesus, it means that the old man is dead, that Christ is alive in you, and you do love, and an absence of love means, as John says, the one who hates his brother is still in the darkness even until now. Whatever we claim, the results of the test of loving are final. For John says plainly that the hater has never been anywhere but the darkness and has never received the light in the first place. Hating anyone and walking in the light are mutually exclusive possibilities. Nobody can do it. For light and darkness, love and hatred cannot be at the same place at the same time. Nothing is so blind as hatred. For when we have an attitude of bitterness, and bitterness and hatred are one and the same thing. When we have an attitude of bitterness towards, toward another person, it conceals our own faults and it conceals their virtues. Think about that for a minute. When you really get a rotten attitude towards somebody, and it, it ha it's happened to all of us, when you really get the rotten attitude, you cannot see anything good about the other person and you cannot see anything wrong with your own position. That is how sometimes Christians can justify any means to an end. I reviewed a book recently for the paper called Great Church Fights by a Baptist pastor named Leslie Flynn who examined eight instances of problems in the New Testament church that were revealed in Scripture. And as historical background to the letter of, to the Romans, Flynn revealed that research and historical evidence has demonstrated that strife and division became so strong in the church at Rome under Nero that members of opposing factions of the church in Rome would turn each other in as traitors to the Roman Empire. Christians helped feed Christians to the lions. Has anything changed? Here is a contradiction revealed. Light and darkness cannot coexist in the same light. Now another thing, when we have a bad attitude, when any of us has an attitude of bitterness, which is hatred, it destroys our objectivity and renders us unable to make a rational or reasonable judgment concerning the other person. 
The tragedy of the one who does not love is that it's a holy crusade. They do not realize that they are unloving or they do not realize its consequences. How amazing it is that we can preach love to the heathen in Africa and cannot love our next door neighbor at some times. Do you think that pleases God? Oh, how I love Jesus, but I hate your guts. Now in verse 11, the second verse of this contradiction, some things are revealed about the hater. The one who hates his brother is in the darkness even until now and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. His existence, John says, is in the darkness. His activity, he walks in darkness. His blindness, he does not know where he is going. Now, I'm not talking about perfect love because nobody but Jesus ever did that. But I'm talking about habitual love. And if a Christian so-called can hate and continue to hate and be bitter and make it a point of his life to hurt another Christian, then that is not habitual love. If there is no guilt, there is no remorse, there is no desire to repent, to confess, to change, to be different, it is because they have never come into the light in the first place. One of the, con one of the commentators on this book of 1 John said, the hater is like a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that isn't there. And this is the Draper paraphrase. You may quote me. This is worth writing down. He who hates his brother has no brother. He who hates his brother has no brother. Love is that which drew us to God, his love to us, and it is that which draws us close to those others who love God. And hatred is that which separates us from God and builds walls between us and those who love him. Oh, don't know what he did. Well, do you have any concept of what you did to Jesus? Do you have any concept of that? Do you really know and do you really understand that it was your sin that put Jesus on the cross? Do you really understand that? Oh, but it's so hard to love. How easy was it for God to love you? John would say, when the light is there, love is there. And when the light is not there, love is not there. It's just that simple. And when you have confessed an inability to love, you have not said anything about anybody but yourself. William Barclay, the great British Bible teacher who recently died, said this about this passage of Scripture. Hatred makes a man blind. When a man has hatred and bitterness in his heart, clearly his powers of judgment are obscured. He cannot make a wise decision. He cannot see any issue clearly. It is no uncommon sight 
to see in any group of people a man opposing a good and useful proposal because he disliked or has quarreled with the man who made the proposal. No man is fit to give a verdict on anything while he has hatred in his heart. And no man can rightly direct his own life when hatred dominates him. There is no place in the heart of the Christian for the hatred which destroyed the tranquility of the world and nailed Jesus to the cross. In verse 10, here is what I have called the consistency received. The consistency received. In Hebrews 12 verse 15, the writer to the Hebrews Christian says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Do you desire consistency? John would tell us in verse 10, you may have consistency in one way, and that is as your life reflects the love of Jesus to other people. That is the only way. You will find that if you will not let his love reflect through you, his fellowship and his peace and his joy will be withdrawn from you and you will not make it day by day as a Christian. You can have consistency as you love, not in order to be saved, but because you have been saved. Now, one problem that many have in the Christian life is they approach everything about the Christian life as an obligation. Now, I've got to do this for God, and if I do this, everything will be all right, and if I do this, this is what God wants. No. What you do is never any good at all unless it is a product of what you are. It's never any good unless it is a product of what you are. What John is saying and the way the Greek phrases this verse is that the one who lives the life of love has no reason from within himself that he needs to stumble himself. Why do we stumble? John would say we stumble and we fall and we fail because of inconsistency at this point. Boy, this is critical. This is crucial. This may be the most important thing I have ever said from any pulpit. God is love, John says. John says earlier in this book, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. Now I've told you many times that the mother of all sin is pride. But the root of all sin which gave birth to pride, which gave birth to sin, is self and selfishness. In James 1, 13 to 15, James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it gives birth to death. Lust 
is not really a dirty word. Lust just means selfish desire. Self and selfishness are the root of all sin. Now, in the Bible, love is the only evidence that the Bible gives that anybody knows God. It's the only evidence. And why is it that we will consume our lives trying to demonstrate all kinds of things except the one thing that God says is real? Jesus said in John 13, 35, we read ago, a moment ago, by this all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now what is the other side of that coin? By this shall all men know that you are not my disciples if you do not have love one to another. That's just that simple. Love is the only proof of salvation. And to be loving involves telling the truth and being true to the word even when it hurts. How much easier it is sometimes in personal relationships if you just don't tell the truth. How much easier it is. But when you have done that, you have demonstrated that you do not love God, nor do you love the other person. The job of the one who speaks the word has always been a very unpleasant job. You can turn to Jeremiah. You can turn to Ezekiel. You can read Hosea. You can read the other prophets, and you will find at times that the book records where they just told God, Lord, don't make me say that. I don't want to say it. We look at Isaiah 6 where Isaiah was called and he had a vision of God and he said, Here am I, send me. Read the rest of the chapter where God promised Isaiah, If you do what I say, you will never know what men call success. And you will always have enemies. Here truly is the consistency re received. We are never exempt from fulfilling the law of love, not even when somebody does us dirty or treats us wrong. You remember Jesus on the cross? We say, oh, I just can't do it. Look what they did to me. Have they nailed you to a tree? If you're going to be like Jesus, if they do put you on the cross, you've got to pray for God to forgive them. And a refusal to forgive is a, a statement of pride that my sin is, is less than yours. Otherwise, I wouldn't exalt myself above you and talk down to you and criticize you and put you down and refuse to forgive you. Only a carnal Christian can be heard in the first place. Jess Moody great pastor, former vice president of our Southern Baptist Convention, is writing a book. The title of the book is The Curse. And his premise is that the only real problem the church has or has ever had in any location, in any age of history, is the carnal Christian. The curse of carnality is what the book is about. And in Psalm 119, 165, the Bible says, Great peace have they who love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Only a carnal Christian can be hurt or offended. No one can make you bitter. 
Only you can allow yourself to become bitter. The world looked at the New Testament church to whom John wrote, and they said, as recorded in the book of Acts, see how they love one another. Today, the world looks at the church with a snicker and says, ha, see how they love one another. Love is the evidence of the presence of God in a life. We're often good at raising the flag and beating the drum and talking about all the liberalism and the havoc wrought in the world by the loose liberal and the malignant modernist. What about the petty Puritan, the factious fundamentalist, and the oldest union in the world that was formed when the Sadducees and the Pharisees got together, the United Nitpickers. Now, did I miss anybody? I don't think so. I don't think I missed anybody that's in the room, out of the room, in the world, or out of the world. But you see, we've got such a tremendous lesson to learn. We must remember who the enemy is. My friend George Harris, who, who was here with us in a revival about a year ago, said to me last week, he was at Putnam City Baptist Church in a revival, Harris said to me, the Christian army is the only army that shoots its casualties. Beloved, let us remember who the enemy is. I recall shuddering, literally shuddering and becoming sick at my stomach. One day in 1970 in Bryan, Texas, I walked into a little bookstore, as I have been known to do, and I was looking the Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey, the high priest of the Church of Satan in America. And in the Satanic Bible, there are nine statements that are to the Ten Commandments. Some of them are so vile, I would never... As if you love, there will be no thing rising up from within you to make you stumble. St. Augustine, the great theologian of... 1,500 years ago said, Love, agape, and then do what you will. One came to Jesus and said, Master, what is the first and greatest commandment? Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On this hinges all the law. You ever heard the old story about where the saying came from? About the woman who was not so bright and she threw her baby out with the dirty water when she had bathed it. Don't we do the same? of mercy and to walk humbly with your God. 
Do you desire consistency? Then love. And do not stumble. Are you in the darkness? Does the light reveal a truth which disturbs you? There is nothing to fear. There is no worry. You can be liberated from the darkness. You can quit looking at the light and come into the light today if you will give your heart to Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died for you. He died for every one of us. And may we never grieve the great heart of God by either refusing to speak the truth are doing it with bitterness and hatred. Today, if you do not know Jesus, you can invite him into your life. You can walk this aisle. I will meet you here. We will talk. We will pray. And Jesus will forgive your sins if you ask him to do it. You may be here and you may need to join the church. This is your home. You belong in this town. God has put you here. You need to be active. There's no question about that. And if God would have you serve him in this place, then today you need to make that commitment public. I do not know your heart. I am not aware of your need, but I know the answer. And the answer is found as we love and do not stumble. Whatever he would have you do. In just a moment, as we sing a hymn of invitation, I am asking you to step to the aisle to meet me here at the front and to do what God demands of you. May we pray. Father in heaven, Minister life to us through the word. Meet our needs. And Lord, as the sword cuts, may we not rebel, but may we repent. Do with us what pleases you. Bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus. Build up the church. Give a light to the world through what happens here today. I thank you that you will. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand to sing him 347, I Surrender All. And what God would have you do, today is his day. It will never be easier. This is his time, right now and quickly, who will be first. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender, make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit, truly know that thou art mine. I surrender all, I surrender Jesus, I surrender, Lord.
I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessing fall on me. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. working, bringing folks into the church, bringing souls into the kingdom. I don't know what he wants you to do, but I know that you will know no peace until you do what he demands. Jesus made a statement one time and he said, to whom much is given, much is required. And when you hear the truth, you become responsible to do the truth as a Christian whether you receive the truth or not. And you will know no peace until you receive and do the truth. And it is for that reason that I ask you to do what He wants you to do. Well, what does He want me to do? I have such a hard time understanding it. No, the will of God is an open book and it's called the Bible. And when you have identified what God commands of all Christians, you have found God's will for your life. Today, publicly, privately, as He demands, do it His way. What He would have you do right now and quickly who will be next?